What's up, guys? Happy March. I'm Alexa Ace, and you're listening to Women and Music. This journey with Gold Hand Girls has been so fucking fun. From having my first house shows in 2015 to meeting Lady Gaga in 2017, retiring the Gold Hand Girls International Music blog in 2020, and now starting a podcast in 2021. I never in a million years would have guessed how life-changing starting a platform could be. Today's guest did just that too. She started her own platform, and that's exactly why I wanted to talk to her. Meet Mia Van Allen. Mia is the founder of the Color of Music Collective, where their goal is to amplify voices of color and LGBTQ individuals in the music industry. Mia's taken the digital world by storm with her beautifully fierce education on inequality. Now having over 100 national volunteers, the Color of Music Collective hosts panels, mentorships, and digital empowerment events that are strongly allowing POCs to be recognized. In this episode, you'll hear Mia mention how the George Floyd movement inspired her to push her platform into existence, how Color of Music Collective obtained partnerships with Def Jam and DistroKid, and the encapsulating positive impact just starting your own community platform can have on the world. Introducing Mia Van Allen. Mia, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. We have so much in common. Also, this is going to be great. I know. We literally, like... You're the first person I've met that studied abroad in London. I feel like everyone just does like Prague or Paris or, or Italy or Scotland. And I'm like, well, I did London. I feel so basic when I say that. But like also London is so culturally magical. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can go from like central London to Shoreditch and you can learn so much about the Polish community. It's historically. So I don't know. I love London and I do want to move back there at some point in my thirties. So it's so crazy that you have the same path. Yes. London is it. Especially across like the globe. Like not a lot of people are like, oh, like I'll just move to LA across the country. But you know, us, it's like, Mm -hmm. we want to Get out of America. Like, get, get us out. But that's also the music industry. I feel like the music industry in London is just, like, so, like, immersive that you can't help but be, like, so, like, electrified by, like, everything around you and the lights. I mean, you get it. So, Mia, tell me about yourself. Yeah. So, I graduated from American University with my bachelor's in business entertainment. I didn't know the music business was a thing probably till I was a sophomore in college. (laughs) I didn't know you could major in it. And before that, I was managing a band my freshman year of college. And then someone came up to me at school and was like, hey, like, you should do the business entertainment program. You would love it. And I'm like, totally undecided. I was like a gender studies major (laughs) and I loved it, but the reading is not for me. So I was like, I can't do this. I want to have fun in college and see live music every day. So <laughs> someone that walked up to me and they were like, Hey, like you really should do the music business entertainment program that day, walked down the street to the business school and immediately registered, signed the forms and had my class the next day. <laughs> Cause I just knew after like managing a band that I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I always wanted to be in the scene and I didn't realize Till much later on in my college career, what the music industry was like after actually working in it in the corporate scene. And I was really struggling with imposter syndrome. And I know we talked a little bit about it, but it's basically like anyone can feel imposter syndrome. I feel like it's come up during a lot of ally conversations when it comes to racism, but literally anyone can feel imposter syndrome. It's basically, you feel like 
in a room that you're not meant to be there, you're not good enough because it could be someone had a Ivy League education and maybe you just got your associates. It could be someone was born in the entertainment industry and they have family relatives that kind of handed them that job and you just got it from simply applying and you don't feel like you're good enough because of that. It could be literally anything. It doesn't have to be tied to race. And I really struggled for a long time because I was working with basically a bunch of like 40 to 60 year old white men for four years of my life. And I didn't know that it was common. I thought it was just me. I thought that I was applying to the wrong things. And then I met Carla, who's the co-founder of the Code Music Collective, which is the nonprofit that I founded. And she taught me so much about myself, about the music industry, and also about being a queer ally in the music industry. And so we've talked a lot about starting our own initiative from day one since I met her. And five years later, I graduated college. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what to do felt like I didn't have a purpose. And Carla reached out to me again, was like, hey, like you should use this time and start that platform that we've been talking about. And Carla had a full-time job and she still spent every day for months working with me on the mission statements and the Go Carla. accounts, the websites, our bios, putting like just absolutely everything. And then finally in May, we were ready to launch, but I was really struggling with the George Floyd incident, especially as a Black woman. And Absolutely. I didn't know if I should be launching during such a prolific time in our country. But I don't know. I just had like this gut feeling that with all these protests and these movements that I've been seeing in education, that I should really take advantage of this time and the conversations that especially new allies were having because I constantly was getting texts about like books to read and documentaries or like social media accounts to follow from a lot of my like white friends who were just trying to have a purpose during that time. They felt really helpless. And then I just decided to launch just because of pure frustration, (laughs) to be honest. And I launched in the beginning of June. And that week, the first week that we launched, there was a movement called Blackout Tuesday. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people get very confused when I say that for some reason. So I'm going to break it down simply. Yeah, let's hear it. Blackout Tuesday, it turned out to be a worldwide movement, but it actually was meant to be for the music industry. I'm sure you know of people who were posting the Black squares on Facebook and Instagram, different social media platforms in support of Black Lives Matter. But... Blackout Tuesday was actually founded by two Black women who work at Atlantic Records who were sick of the name of the department, which is typically R&B, jazz, hip-hop, rap. And I'm sure you know this, Alexa, it's labeled as Urban Music Department. And this is all labels, all labels, all agencies, any music-related company. And it's offensive. And it's been going on for decades. And these women were so brave, stood up and were like, 
no, we gotta, we gotta change the music industry with urban, the urban music department. But more than that, we need to hire more black employees. We need to promote black employees who are 30 years old and are still in assistance, which is crazy. We need to support students that are on financial aid and are getting paid hourly wages. It's not sustainable, mm-hmm. especially when you're living in a major city like New York or Nash- even Nashville, which is like still cheap compared to most cities, but you know, still expensive. And LA and now London, it's really sickening. So they started this movement, but I guess it went viral and everyone started to do it. And sadly, the mission that they had for that movement was drowned because everyone was posting a black square and they couldn't really get their voices heard or achieved. So I really was frustrated with that. And I wanted to start a panel that discussed what it's like applying for jobs as a black person, a Hispanic Mm. individual, Muslim, whatever, and also as a queer identifying person. And we started with that panel and then it just took off. Everyone wanted to do it. Everyone wanted to participate. And that's kind of when we kind of blew up and attracted a team. And yeah, here I am. I'm now in LA. Yeah. That is incredible. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm blown away, honestly, over here, just by the knowledge that you have and the initiative and the mission and just how solid it is. Thank you for explaining also a little bit about that because I didn't know, honestly, as a woman in the music industry, I didn't know where it started. I didn't post about it. I didn't like it. I felt it was a bit of a, honestly, this might sound bad, but it sounded like a whitewash movement. Yeah. It seemed like the social media, like white world just took over. And I was like, what is this? So to hear you say, no, It started by two women of color at Atlantic Records, and then their voices got drowned out. Ooh, I'm mad. I'm mad for you. I'm like, I did not know that, and that makes me mad. And everybody was very frustrated with it. Even you had white allies that were like, stop posting the black square. You're drowning the movement. So Jamila Thomas from Atlantic Records, she's the director of marketing, and she was posting on her stories like every minute saying, please, if you see this, share this Mm -hmm. next message, you know, to tell people to stop posting on their black screen. I felt very frustrated for her. Wow. It's horrible. I mean, it's an example of social media (laughs) and (laughs) how you know, people of color aren't heard. So, you know, thank you for starting the Color Music Collective. And also thank you for touching on imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome also is a beast in digital media and in this generation and as a woman in the music industry, no matter what. I loved your examples of, you know, you might be in a room with someone who has family in the music industry and you don't realize that like you still feel less than because you have to do all the extra work just to be noticed or just to be seen or just to be fucking heard. That's kind of what Color of Music Collective is, right? Like it's a place for women and minorities to be heard. Yeah. I mean, it's a safe space as well. I mean, I wasn't predicting for people to really open up as they have been doing on our panels. And for some people, it's the first time, especially. And before they come on, I always write an email saying, like, don't feel pressured to answer the question. I'm just putting it because I feel like I'm curious as a mm-hmm. black individual. I do that too. And, you know, Carla's curious as a queer identifying person, but that doesn't mean you have to answer if you're not comfortable with it, but they always do. And it's for the first time for some people. So it's crazy that I can document it and save it so that I'm sure they can, you know, 10 years from now, look back and be like, wow, like I did that. And I may have helped this one individual who felt stuck at this time. It's 
incredible. And we also have a blog that is a free platform. Anyone can reach out to us to write if they feel like a topic needs to be discussed or if they have an album that they've really been drawn to and they feel like other people would love it as well. We can do album reviews. We are about to do a masterclass series. So we should be posting about that probably in the next couple of weeks. So definitely stay up to date with that. But it's going to be our first ever paid event. And it's going to be taught by execs who have been in the music industry for more than eight years. So truly masters wow. of their craft, you know, for the people who are just finding out and looking on our like Instagram or whatever about the panels we've done in the past we choose very specific nitty gritty topics, but mm. in, within those topics, there could be an album strategy. There could be the artist had a specific idea of how he wanted to go about the promotion. There's also fashion that not a lot of people think about when it comes to music, but it's a really prominent part of, especially an album cover. So we're going to be having masterclasses of those specific topics. So it's going to be really cool and it's going to be a great way for us to fundraise as well. And that money could go to, you know, basically like our Zoom, but also there's so much that we could use that for, like hosting eventually our in-person conference, which fingers crossed these COVID vaccines can come soon. (laughs) I feel like everyone says that, but I mean, for music lovers, it's been really difficult for us. Yeah, Yeah, for real. (laughs) The the one thing that we rely on for like our happiness. Yes, (laughs) and our livelihood for some people. But yeah, that's kind of the plan. There's a lot more too. So definitely stay up to date with that. But I'm so happy that we've created a platform that allies can also utilize as well. So yeah, hopefully that is helpful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'm kind of bouncing around here, but I want to know, like, at what point did you realize you were making an impact in people's lives with Color of Music Collective? Well, day one, honestly, after our first panel in early June, my LinkedIn and like Instagram, everything, email was blown up. I think I got like 80 or 100 messages total the day after of people who were like, when's like the next one? Like, it's crazy wow. meeting like a black person for the first time in the music industry over Zoom. I was getting comments like that. I was getting comments like wow. Carla encouraged me to come out to my office today. Oh. Like those types of messages really made me feel like, you know, cause I was also putting myself in a vulnerable position as well. And I'm not one to really blame and put blame on anything. And I felt like I was putting a lot of blame on the music industry for a good while. And I felt terrible about it. But now after I get the comments that we get about people who are like, you encouraged me to come out, you encouraged me to switch majors. It's crazy. So I would say from day one is when I knew I was beginning to really change and have an impact on people's lives. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for, you know, being a voice for so many minorities, you know, people of color, those DMs, even just one DM like that, Goldhand's gotten quite a few of that too, you know, and just one DM like that is like, wow, it's that deep breath of, oh my God, what I'm doing in my side hustle is really, truly greatly making impact. It's doing exactly what, you know, you're kind of hoping to do and hearing like that you're getting DMs that people are coming out. Whoa. 
Yeah. Whoa. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, thank you also, whoever that was, or, you know, if that happens often, thank you for providing that safe space. So for you, what were some examples of ways that you found confidence in your voice and in yourself? Let's say around last June when everything was happening and when you launched Color Music Collective. Yeah. So I would say I didn't feel fully comfortable till about late winter of 2020 when I was a senior and applying to jobs. And when I was interviewing, you know, this is all pre-COVID in person. And I was in rooms of like Universal and WME and Red Bull Records and UTA, some really green companies, which I already was struggling to even get myself to go to the interview because I didn't feel like I was deserving of it. But when I sat in the waiting room in the lobby around a bunch of really successful, like-minded individuals, I realized how much bullshit (laughs) I was told. And I just constantly was told in like informational interviews, like, oh yeah, like our company is doing absolutely everything to increase the diversity of our employees. We have a scholarship program, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, after seeing it and being a part of the interviews, it was bullshit. And I don't like being lied to. (laughs) I want to know examples of ways that labels are saying they're doing that right now. Yeah. So when you are in a corporate internship at Sony or UTA, any big music label, even Live Nation, before you start, you always have an informational session to gauge not only with your fellow like coworkers, but with your supervisors and the corporate sphere of the company. So you're meeting with HR, you're meeting with diversity inclusion office, you're meeting with like the coordinator for internships. You're literally meeting everyone in that one, maybe two day period. And I was a part of a lot of those because I did a lot of like internships like that. And Mm I was always told from these people, like, hey, like we are like the first company to like launch a diversity and inclusion office. And this is like what we've done to diversify not only our employees, but our roster of clients as well. It's just like lies. I did a lot of research and I realized more than half of Black artists, even Latino artists, Latina, Latino, Latinx artists are not matched with a non-white team. Like they have white managers. Can you imagine like a Latina, Latino born raised artist that has a team of white people? Like, especially now as Latinx music has really blown up. That's crazy. I am like, what? Yeah. I love this podcast for that reason, because I'm like learning more and more about the industry and about the way that the industry works internally. And no, (laughs) no. What? what? How does that make them feel like what they're doing is really making an impact in their community? How can you create an album release strategy without simply relating and knowing how the artist felt writing this album, creating this album, and also being vulnerable Mm -hmm. enough to promote it to the world. It's nonsense how their managers are white. And now, just recently, like I know like Michael B. Jordan, his agency is WME. And I remember, and I felt so happy when he came out and wrote a letter about how he was threatening to leave this agency until they, and he literally wrote a battle plan basically of like what they needed to do so that, you know, he would stay. And then 
tons of other actors and actresses and artists started doing the same thing and coming out and posting about their team behind this album, how like they wish that that person, at least one person, which is not too much to ask, was of the same race, same language as them. So I think, you know, things are really starting to shift, but I don't like years and years of me working in the music industry being by two and now the movement is just starting to happen. It's really disgusting. So whenever I have these sort of conversations with people who are still in college, I always like to tell them right away and make sure that they're fully educated about what industry they're about to walk into. The initial question, which was like, what are examples of ways you found confidence in your voice and in yourself? And it's like, how can you find confidence in your voice and in yourself if you are being lied to? What type of path does that lay for people of color for minorities. It doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. So that's absolutely frustrating. But again, thank you for building that awareness. And I want to say building because it is a building. It's the beginning of a movement, like you said, which it shouldn't be. Thank you for building a platform that is really quickly enabling people of color to be heard. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, that makes me mad. (laughs) So I'm like over here kind of like, wow, you know, how can I help change? Like what can the average everyday person in the music industry, someone who's white like myself, do to consistently give people in the music industry a voice that are of color or minorities? Yeah, I know. It's really, it's, it's honestly, it's really troubling that I, now I'm just realizing for the first time, like on this podcast, like how long it took me to speak up and be vocal about the racism that I've seen in the music industry and create a platform that's based on having these conversations. I love meeting people who have always been vocal about it because I wish I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially like young 19-year-olds who are like, oh, like this is like bull. They're so fired up. They're so like, you know, angry and fired up. I'm like, oh, power to you. That was not me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd love to learn more about your partnerships, for example, with Def Jam or DistroKid for Black History Month. Yes. So Jeff Jam, and a lot of people don't know this, but it's actually a Black-owned, founded label. Yeah, it is. One of the oldest labels that are still run today. A lot of Black labels have been bought out by other subsidiaries. And Jeff Jam, even though they were still bought out by Universal, they've still been able to maintain that wholesome, Black-owned, small business feel, despite their roster, which I've always admired, and their staff. I love talking to Jeff Jam employees. They just are... You can tell they all really love what they do. Yeah. I feel like they're not like the type of label to just have like an urban department, because fuck that. (laughs) They are a really great example of a major label that is inclusive. Yes, absolutely. And pretty much all their staff are Black. I'm pretty sure maybe, I could be wrong, I don't work there, but I have not met a person at all at Def Jam. And I've gone to their headquarters. I have a lot of friends that work there and they always tell me like, I've never seen a white person ever in the building. (laughs) So it's really amazing. But because I, you know, crossed paths with a lot of people who work there, I really wanted to, for Black History Month, being my first company and also being the first Black History Month after such a crazy year for Black Lives Matter, I really wanted to go all out, especially because it's like my first ever Black History Month curating. 
So I wanted to choose one big label company, black owned company. And then for the first half of February, and then for the end of February, I wanted to support a small black owned business. Those were the two missions I had when I created Black History Month. So Jeff Jam just made the most sense because of the relationship that I have with them. And I trust them so much when it comes to these conversations. And I've always been the type of person to really seek out mentors in the music industry, especially as a woman. Absolutely. We need to Me too. find men who want to see women succeed, which you think is a given, but it's actually really hard to find men that feel comfortable speaking up on a woman's behalf. It's really sad that not a lot of men in our music industry can feel comfortable doing that. So finding those types of men is really hard and women as well. You want to find a woman who is not afraid to speak up about injustice or even educate people on what they can be doing mm-hmm. with their company. So I wanted to do a mentorship panel with Jeff Jam because I've had a lot of mentors at Jeff Jam and I know that they've had mentors and their mentors had mentors. So it just made the most sense. And I know virtually it's really hard to find Black mentors in the music industry because you can't like go on LinkedIn. Hey, do you want to get coffee? No, you can't do that right now. So a lot of people are trying to figure out how can they still learn about the music industry, have an ally that they can look up towards, get advice from about mistakes or any, when it comes to jobs, like pros and cons, anything like that. So this panel was all about Black mentorship in the music industry and how to go about finding Black mentors. So really, I just rewatched it last night. <laughs> I love rewatching. I'm so weird. I love rewatching my panels because when you moderate like this... That's not weird. You did that. <laughs> and I feel like I always miss something. That panel specifically, oh, I cannot recommend enough. And this next panel, I'm now looking to partner with a small Black-owned business. So I've reached out to a few a couple weeks ago. So we're looking to start promoting it probably today or tomorrow. So super excited about that. But yeah, so my partnership with Def Jam was incredible. And then with DistroKid, they reached out to us, which is crazy. They were like, we've seen all your panels. We followed you from like day one. We really want to support you. Like, what do you need from us? And they were like, do you need help financially? Like, this must be so expensive. And we were like, so grateful. Wow. Like, so beyond grateful that they reached out and they wanted to sponsor us for a few panels. And then we had them speak at our first panel, 2021, which was amazing. And DistroKid is a great company. I've always loved them. I've used them myself when I managed the band. I've been using them since 2016. So great company, really affordable, and they have really great minds behind it. So super cool that we could do that. But yeah, I'm really happy with how Black History Month is. Women's Month is next month. So now I'm planning that. And it's like February, March are my favorite two months of the year because it's the time where people are trying to really educate themselves, find platforms. And I want to be a part of that. So yeah, hopefully they answered your question. <laughs> it absolutely did. And also like, congratulations. I kind of want to point out like to the listeners here, if you're listening, recognize that Mia, you literally started this last year and DistroKid reached out to you. And that is because of your hard work and perseverance and persistence. And, you know, again, I keep going back to it, but being that voice, you were that voice. And 
it's working for you. So you are the example of someone who did something in kind of like the most difficult time, you know, not only with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Black Lives Matter, but also during the pandemic. And here you are less than a year later having partnerships with Def Jam and DistroKid. I just want to take a moment to congratulate you because that is a massive accomplishment. And yeah, you're the shit. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a lot coming from you. Absolutely. So how can the music industry as a whole do better to support LGBTQ plus and people of color? So I don't know if you're familiar with the term whitewashing. I hate the way that people word it or like the white savior complex, I guess it's like a better word for it. The white savior complex. This term has been around for a while, but I feel like last year, especially after the protests and, you know, people who didn't feel comfortable protesting on the streets felt really helpless and they wanted to educate themselves through books and documentaries and movies and going to conferences and following Black influencers doing the most. But I feel like as a Black person, white people, especially white friends, some people just don't mean to at all. And that's why I sympathize. But sometimes as a Black person, you have a lot of white people who come to you for advice or they ask you like, what can I be doing? Like, what should I be doing? What books should I read? I mean, can you imagine mm -hmm. like constantly being asked those questions every hour as a black person? You're like, what? Like Google, you know, like I'm sure there's already stuff being posted on social media. Like don't go to the first black person you see and ask them like a hundred things a minute. It's also like really difficult for us to grasp now being the center focus of change, it really took a toll on the Black community. So I would say, as terms of advice, simply just not going to the first Black friend that you have is a start supporting Black mm -hmm. individuals and especially LGBTQ during Pride Month. I know Carla was constantly getting messages about what are some LGBTQ plus Pride playlists that I can share or what are some like LGBTQ books? What can we be doing to protest virtually? What outlets are there? I mean, it's like very mm -hmm. overwhelming. Oh, it's like supposed to be endearing, but you're saying this so perfectly. As a white woman, I also need to hear this because I don't do this, but it's like, I've wondered. I've absolutely wondered, like from a black woman's perspective, like why the fuck do so many white people ask questions like this? And I can hear you say, you know, you sympathize, but for me, it's like, I want to know. But speaking from someone who is white, yeah, I got Google. Like, yeah. thank you for saying that because I can go get Google. I can take myself to Barnes & Noble. I can educate myself. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I know Google has a Black-owned business section, Black-owned female business section. You like type in like restaurants near me. There's like their own section for that, which I'm like, oh my God, that's super cool. My roommates, they are also like trying to really educate themselves. And I was like, yeah, like I can take you to, you know, a bookstore and you can find resources that work best for you, but I can't tell you what to read because you also may not mm. like what I suggest. Everyone yeah. has different tastes. So I think to start there, but also people are having, especially this month, really in-depth, really educational conversations about what they've learned in 2020. And a lot of it is racially tied to the Black Lives Matter protests that happened this year. And I'm really happy that those conversations are being had in such a casual matter. I know that 
Patagonia has been having really cool conversations about that. Also for music lovers, the Grammys this year is going to be one to watch. Normally I hate awards just because of the whole conspiracies behind nominations and everything. Mm -hmm. But I think this year I'm definitely going to tune in to watch because a lot of these Black artists that are nominated this year have been around for like five or so years. So a lot of the albums that they're getting nominated for are actually from like 2018, which is crazy. So definitely watch this year, but also simply just if you are, are lucky enough to have a job during the pandemic right now, this doesn't have to be music related at all. I really suggest setting a time, maybe an hour a week and working your way up to fostering Black or LGBTQ identifying young individuals who maybe want to have your position someday, or maybe they want to switch jobs entirely. And after the pandemic, obviously jobs are going to be moving quite quickly. So I know a lot of my friends who work in marketing or software engineering, they go on LinkedIn and they look for current students at their alma mater and reach out to them and be like, hey, like this is the same major. Let me know if you ever want to talk or if you want to reference post-grad, happy to do it. That message can go a long, long way, especially from a stranger. Yep. It shows that your hard work is paying off. So Whenever I have time or like bored, I go on LinkedIn and I look to see all the business entertainment majors, see what they're doing, look to see if they're hustling. Then I weed it down to POC LGBTQ members and I'm like, hey, love what you're doing. Let me know if you ever need anything. That could mean like so much to that person. So that's it. That's it. Those are like three really good ways. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Those are great points like reaching out I think that that's a really great first step is reaching out and yeah thank you for fucking being here today I think that you know we just have so much in common and you're so great and I want to sit here and continue to talk to you and get your advice and pick your brain and yeah here is the last question I have for you Mia Mm -hmm. what is your gold moment and that's like your pinch me moment in the music industry I was thinking a lot about this yesterday and it's hard especially with the success that Absolency has had to choose one, but I'm going to choose something outside of when I started school MC. And that would probably be when I was in London and I had my internship. And I always look back during that time to the highlight so far of my life because <laughs> Working in London as a PUC individual is incredible because simply, (laughs) this sounds terrible, but slavery never happened in the UK. So like the whole stigma behind Black people or just PUCs in regards to slavery is non-existent in the UK. So I was the only Black person in the whole entire office and I felt like I was treated normal, which is not wow. crazy to say. In London. In London. I felt the most comfortable I've ever had at any work, job, internship, whatever. And it's because they just treat Black people as normal as any other person on Wall wow. Street. And like, I loved it. I loved going into work. I love that people weren't uncomfortable having race conversations with me, socioeconomic conversations with me. 
And I'm still close with absolutely everyone in that office. And it was really hard for me coming back to the US after that. I wanted to extend my visa. Like I was literally doing everything I could. And when I came back from London and I started working in the music industry that summer, I realized how terrible our music industry is to POCs there. And that's when I realized I want to start CUNC. And about a year after that, that's when I started CUNC. So I'm really grateful for the time that my time abroad has given me because without that, I wouldn't have had the courage to start CUMC. So that's probably my gold moment, if that counts. <laughs> absolutely. It absolutely does. It's so cool. I love that you, you, know, you mentioned London because obviously I love London too. Way too much than I can handle. But how cool is it that you felt included and you felt like you had a voice there and you still were I mean, fuck being, you know, the only person of color there, but you didn't feel like you were the only person of color there. And then you come back to America and you're like, I got to make that change. I got to fight. I got to do that. Is that kind of how you feel? Yeah, exactly. And I also feel like I learned so much about myself and being independent. And like that next summer, I worked in New York. So I went from London to New York, which I couldn't have done a year before that. But London taught me so much about how to be independent, how to support myself financially and to just, you know, trying to hustle in my early 20s. I feel like if I didn't go abroad and also just learn how grateful I was to have grown up the way I did, which wasn't with much, but having a loving family, that's one thing that America is so grateful for is family. I feel Mm -hmm. like in the UK or other parts of Europe, a lot of older people lose touch with their family, which to me, I thought was really crazy, but it's a sense of normalcy in Europe. So again, we're so lucky to have that. There's a lot of pros and cons to US, UK, but in terms of feeling comfortable in your own skin, going into a department store and not being looked at weirdly is something that I definitely took for granted when I was in the UK. And when I came back, had a little bit of a culture shock when I came back to America, I was like, wow, we were so fucked up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We sure are. I just love everything you're saying. You're so well-spoken. Like everything you're saying, even about family in Europe, and it's just so different out there. I literally could talk to you for ages. We have so much in common. We have such a similar path, but like parallel. So it sounds like we got to hang out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If you're ever in LA or like hopefully London. (laughs) Yep, yep. That's that's it. Always. That's how a lot of my, like I actually, like within this podcast, I interview a lot of people from the UK because I think that their perspectives, you know, kind of as you're saying, are just very different and unique. And I'm kind of finding that I'm ending a lot of these conversations with meet you in London. So (laughs) meet you in London? Yes, 100%. (laughs) Let's do it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Women in Music. Mia's a revolution within herself, and I stand strongly beside her in aiming to amplify the voices of minorities. If there's anyone else out there like this that has a platform or that wants to chat, I'd love to know you. In addition, make sure to keep up with The Color of Music Collective at The Color of Music Collective and Mia Van Allen at Mia Van Allen. I'm your host, Alexa Ace. You can find me at Alexa A. Ace in the podcast home at Goldhand Girls. Above all, be gold. Till next time.